Hi, I'm David Freudberg, host of Humankind, and I love my work, the opportunity to talk with remarkably enlightened people about things that really matter to all of us. And honestly, the most fun I have is when I hear from listeners I've never met, often from places I've never visited, who've been touched by our Humankind program. The grants we get from the funders you hear named on our program simply don't cover all our expenses. And if you like what you hear, we're asking for your help so we can keep the program and this podcast going. Please visit humanmedia.org and at the top of the homepage, click on How You Can Help. Thanks. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund. Additional funding for this series has been provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the National Institutes of Health, the Annie E. Casey Foundation, and the Park Foundation. If you don't notice anything positive in the world around you, then yes, it's going to have a bad effect on your mood. I definitely found that when I started looking for things to savor in particular, so little things of beauty in my day-to-day life, you know, they're everywhere. The new science of gratitude and how when we stay thankful, it can enhance our emotional and physical health. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. One of my favorite British authors, G.K. Chesterton, once remarked that thanks are the highest form of thought and that gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. And I think I know what he means. Even when life seems to hand us hard times, finding gratitude, if only for being alive, can take some of the sting away. Moral philosophers and spiritual writers have long praised gratitude as a deep source of human strength. And now scientific psychologists are uncovering many benefits from the systematic cultivation of gratefulness. And the field of positive psychology fascinates journalist Catherine Price in Oakland, California. Well, I'm not always naturally drawn too far to the negative, but I think that speaking from my own intuition, this is not very scientific, but I think I probably do have depression somewhere in my genetics, just because I do have a family history of a lot of people with depression. Um, I think also some of that has to do with how you're raised and that I have, I don't want to say an overly cynical family, but my grandmother always told me to, you know, hope for the best, but expect the worst. And I think I, I kind of absorbed that. So I feel like I probably have a genetic predisposition towards depression just because Everyone in my family has been on Prozac, including our dog. So, you know, at some point I'm just worried that I'm going to, I'm going to really feel very down. And I already have kind of a tendency towards existentialism. And um, Did you say your dog was on Prozac? Yes. <laughs> Is veterinary Prozac a common thing? I don't know too much about the background of her treatment, but um, she is a rescue. She was abused as a puppy. I mean, so she, she kind of needed some sort of help. So while I do think I have predisposition towards some negativity, I also think there, that every day we do make choices about whether or not we want to be happy. Um, I'm certainly not a Pollyanna, but I, I know that if you go about your day expecting bad things to happen to you, then you're going to see everything t- through a negative lens and that you're going to come away from life just feeling more down on yourself. Um, 
and as I said, I am I am pretty cynical, but I really do think if you go about things in a positive way, you're just you're going to make yourself feel better. And I think that for me, at least one way to do that is always to try to find a way to laugh at stuff. Like, for example, when I was 22, I was diagnosed with type one diabetes, which is not fun. It's very irritating. And I wish I didn't have it. But I also know that if I spent every day dwelling on that and complaining about it, um, that would just be miserable because I can't do anything about that. So instead, if I can find ways to laugh about it, um, like I wrote a funny essay about what it's like to, you know, <laughs> it sounds strange, but a funny essay about what it's like to be diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and kind of the funnier aspects of the disease. And then just trying to make a joke out of it, it helps you cope better. I have to ask what's funny about being a diabetic. <laughs> In the day-to-day, um, not too much is funny, <laughs> I'll admit. But um, one thing that does happen if you don't treat diabetes is you lose a huge amount of weight. And so I was a senior in college, always been pretty steady with my weight. But, you know, like many women, always wanted to lose some weight. All of a sudden, I'm eating huge amounts of chocolate and lost 15 pounds without doing anything. Was convinced I looked fantastic in a bikini. Like, it was just like the best body image ever. And then I find out I have a chronic, you know, (laughs) very serious disease. And that I was close to passing out into a coma and potentially going into, you know, ketoacidosic shock if I didn't get treatment. Um, and here I am thinking I look really good in a bathing suit. So <laughs> unfortunately, I gained 11 pounds in a week after I was diagnosed. And but you live to tell about it. I live to tell about it. So Catherine Price has written for the New York Times and Washington Post and recently contributed an article entitled Stumbling Toward Gratitude to a magazine called Greater Good. Her investigation into positive psychology yielded an important idea. We can't always control the circumstances of our life, but we still have considerable control over our level of happiness. It seems to me that there's been a lot of work done on the science of depression and of negative moods which is fantastic for understanding why we do get into those places. But I think that um, if it is true that you have a pretty large amount of control over over whether or not you're happy, it would make a lot of sense to figure out how that works and what you can actually do to make yourself feel happier. Um, Because I think we tend to dwell a lot on the negative and don't actually study the positive. But if, and this is something a lot of positive psychologists say, but why shouldn't you try to figure out how you can actually proactively work towards happiness instead of just treating depression? The scientific study of happiness has experienced a growth spurt in academia. Positive psychology is one of the most popular undergraduate courses at Harvard. At the University of California, Davis, psychologist Robert Emmons has pulled together findings from the new science of gratitude into a book simply titled Thanks. He says being grateful doesn't mean we ignore suffering. Sure, when the terrible things are happening, nobody feels grateful for them. I mean, how could you? That would be you know, absurd to be feel grateful for losses and suffering and crises and, uh, and illness to loved ones and so on. But yet, with, with these events comes a perspective, a recognition that, you know, that life contains more reasons to be grateful than not. I think that's what the grateful people do. They're able to, to transcend these temporary circumstances and view life in its entirety. And they just have a worldview that, that informs and instructs them that, that life is really about um, opportunities. It's about seeing, you know, the giftedness even in, even in trials. And this, you know, I think is a you know, primary source of strength enables them to cope with all sorts of difficulties. Looking for that silver lining. That's right. That's right. 
Is gratitude something a person can actually practice? Uh, in other words, is it a skill that we can get better at? Well, I think actually it has to be practiced. I don't think it comes easily or naturally or effortlessly for most of us, certainly not for me, though I, you know, I, I spend my time doing research on gratitude and talking about it and writing about it, something that's never come easily or naturally to me. It really has to be practiced. And there's a whole history in, in spiritual writings and devotional writings about various disciplines, spiritual disciplines, things that we have to, we have to effortfully do. We have to intentionally decide to cultivate uh, gratitude. Um, I just don't think it comes naturally. There's just so many obstacles to it, you know, that psychologists tell us that the tendency to, to look on the dark side, that what's known as the negativity bias, just pervades our consciousness and how we interpret our lives and ourselves and the world around us. And so we need, we need to gain control over our consciousness. And one way to do that is, you know, through the practice of, of developing gratitude, whether that comes through you know, gratitude journal, whether it comes through other thoughts and cognitions by which we can replace, you know, the, the, the non-grateful thoughts, the perceptions that I'm entitled to this or I'm, I deserve this, I've earned it. We have all sorts of beliefs and perceptions, and we make comparisons in our head which go against gratefulness. But we can train ourselves. We can replace these non-grateful thoughts with more gratitude-supporting thoughts. One place where being grateful is on the menu, literally, is here at Cafe Gratitude, a vegetarian restaurant dedicated to abundance and beauty. Yes, it's in Berkeley, California, as well as other locations, serving over 1,500 people a day. Positive posters line the walls, even in the restroom. The cafe had a full house when writer Catherine Price and I popped in one Friday night. We talked with Patty, the manager. You might finish eating your meal here, and your plate reads, what are you grateful for? Or the bottom of your cup of coffee. And also, our menu is written in affirmations. So you might say, I am sensational, and be ordering a pesto pizza. You might say, I am compassionate, and be ordering orange juice. But at the same time, it allows people to acknowledge things about themselves, qualities about themselves that they might um, might uh, not have heard about themselves or have a hard time acknowledging that they're a wonderful person because they've been taught that that's not humble and that it's um, e egotistical to say nice things about yourself. And that's not the belief here. The ambiance of Cafe Gratitude took a little getting used to for Catherine Price, who was raised on the East Coast. Well, I have a very love-hate relationship with Cafe Gratitude. Um, she said it drives me crazy, and yet I keep coming back. And uh, I have a tradition with one of my absolutely most cynical friends where whenever she's in town, we come here just to kind of torture ourselves. But, I mean, the weird thing is, like, I agree with their philosophy that it's very important to be grateful for things in your life. You'll be happier because of it. You know, we should take time and savor the moment. And then I look up in front of me where there is this poster that has a picture of a girl standing in front of a lake that says, can you surrender to how beautiful you are? And like it's too much for me and um, there's just kind of an overwhelming ambiance of positive energy in here that is difficult to handle sometimes so but I think their hearts are definitely in the right place just it's a little annoying too it's a bit much you know it's kind of like an entire it's like a three-dimensional multi-sensory bumper sticker that I've, I've been thrust into the middle of and 
The thing is, I really, really like coconut water. I really like it, but I don't want to have to say I am Aloha when I want to get it. And there's one, I wish you'd left the menu, there's one entree that says something like, I am giving, and it's an Asian kale salad. It's like a, it's a kale salad with seaweed. And every time I order it, I try to just say, I'd like the kale salad with the seaweed. And then they'll say, oh, so you're giving? And then I have to say yes. And then when they deliver the salad to your table, they'll go, they'll say, all right, so who's giving? And you have to say, I am giving. And then they give you their food, your food. And it's like, I just want my salad. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. For more information on this segment, The Science of Gratitude, check our website, humanmedia.org. has been called the most pleasant of virtues and the most virtuous of pleasures. As the blinders of pessimism are lifted, new possibilities come into view. Although it's often a spontaneous human impulse, being grateful is also a complex phenomenon that plays a critical role in human happiness. But it can require a conscious choice for which positive psychologists have devised concrete exercises. Catherine Price. I think that one reason people might veer away from it is that it sounds cheesy or new agey to kind of work towards happiness, you know, very Berkeley, California, which I'm definitely skeptical of. But I think that it's quite practical and rational to think that you would be able to take certain steps in your life that would have an effect on your mood and to train yourself to think in certain ways that would make you feel better. And so I think there's a lot of validity behind what they're trying to do. And that in general, if people knew more about these techniques, that they actually might be able to feel like they had a bit more control over how they felt in their day-to-day lives. I think a key point that you're making is that we can train ourselves how we think. So often it feels like our emotions and our thoughts are out of our control. We're just kind of being dragged along on a ride we don't necessarily want to be on, but that we can't control. I think that's definitely true. I think that a lot of times emotions, by virtue of being emotional, are thought of as uncontrollable and irrational. But my point being that if you can kind of preempt some of those negative thoughts, if you can train yourself to stop your mind from going places before it goes there, I think you really do have the um, ability to change how you feel before you actually feel it. And do you also, in your own experience, find it is possible, even if you've sort of gone down a road that you eventually regret, road of thinking, road of feeling, that you can interrupt that before it plays itself out entirely? I think there's a way to interrupt your train of thought. One person I know who used to have problems with anger thinks now of considering certain thoughts as invitations. So if he is, if he's in a situation that previously would have made him very angry, he tries to stop himself and say, all right, I have an invitation to go be angry. Do I want to accept it or not? And by saying, no, I don't want to accept that, he's able to stop it midway before he actually goes too far. Emotional relief is not the only advantage people can derive from systematically cultivating gratitude. Now scientists are tracking physical benefits from a thankful attitude toward life. UC Davis psychology professor Robert Emmons has done the research. People exercise more when they were keeping gratitude journals relative to a group who were not keeping those journals. They were bothered less every day by aches and pains. Uh, In one study, we found that their sleep was enhanced. They slept longer per night. Their quality of their sleep was enhanced. They felt more refreshed when they woke up. Um, 
you know, we think that gratitude as a form of uh, dealing with stress is going to be beneficial because it reduces some of the harmful effects of uh, stressful emotions on, on physical systems. So there's just a number of ways in which gratitude is linked to you know, physical health. So why do you think that if a person has a more grateful frame of mind that they'll exercise more, they'll feel fewer aches and pains, they'll sleep better? I think so, a lot of it is the focus of attention, right, um, and, and the finding that it produces higher levels of energy. So you feel more alive and vital and alert and active and energetic uh, because you are noticing and, and you're more aware of the benefits and, 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 and positives and, and um, things around you. And so this it seems to be an energy enhancer. So gratitude really gives a person more vitality. It does. It does. There's there's a there's a zest, uh, a vitality, a feeling a feeling of aliveness, feeling just of being being awake, and being alert. That um, seems to lead a person who's already predisposed to exercise. You know, I doubt it's going to take a, a couch potato and turn them into a marathon runner. You know, but it's it's going to be enough to uh, to increase the motivation. And then people also want to take better care of their bodies because they tend to view their their life and their health as a gift. And so when we view something as a gift, we're motivated to protect, to nourish, and, and to take better care of it. And so they're more likely not only to exercise more, but to engage in other preventive health behaviors, more likely to wear a bike helmet, for example, more likely to go to the doctor for regular checkups, more likely to adhere to their medical uh, recommendations, for instance, to take their medication or change their diet. All associated with being uh, more grateful. That's right. Perception that that life is a gift, that physical health has to be, has to be taken care of. So there's this self-responsibility that comes along with feeling gratefulness, and that's reflecting how a person you know, treats his or her body. Dr. Emmons mentioned how people benefited from keeping a gratitude journal, one of several techniques suggested by positive psychology for people seeking to deepen their experience of being thankful for the gifts of life. For her article in Greater Good magazine, Catherine Price decided to try some of these exercises for a period of six weeks. I got a notebook and I wrote down things I was grateful for. Um, and in general, they recommend you don't do that too often because then you might just get numb to what you're grateful for. So if you wake up every single morning and say, I'm so grateful to be alive by like the fifth morning, you know, you're just going to be saying it without actually feeling anything. So I tried to do that once a week. Um, but I also combined that with a more general positive psychology exercise, which was to keep a happiness journal and just try to write down three things every day that I was happy for or happy about, I should say. So I try to write down three things every day that made me happy and then explain the circumstances that brought about those events. So if I said I if I said I had a great time at dinner with friends, I would say to myself or write in my journal, that happened because I was proactive and made a point to go out and spend time with people I enjoyed. Um, just so that you give yourself more of a sense of agency in what you're doing and then how you're feeling. Another gratitude exercise I did was to write a gratitude letter which is, again, pretty much what it sounds like. A gratitude letter is where you sit down and write a letter to someone to whom you're very grateful, and then you take the letter and you deliver it to them in person. So in other words, you want to actually be in person reading this letter to the person to whom you're grateful. Um, and that's very emotional. I wrote mine to my grandmother, who lives across the country, 
And so I couldn't do it in person. I had to do it over the phone. But I found myself procrastinating for about two weeks because I knew I was going to get really emotional about it. And it was very difficult to call her up and be so openly emotional, even though it was over the phone and even though she and I are very close to begin with. It's just a very intimate experience. Um, And then the third gratitude-related exercise I did was to savor. And that is, again, exactly what it sounds like, which um, savoring just means taking time out of your day to appreciate small things that might otherwise go unnoticed. So if you see a very beautiful beam of sun hitting a lake, for example, or a bird crosses your path, or in my case, I I remember seeing a man standing outside a mechanic shop uh, breaking open a pomegranate. And for some reason, it just struck me as very beautiful that this guy had come out of his auto shop and was eating the seeds of this beautiful, beautiful pomegranate. I don't know. I found that really nice. So so he was probably also doing a savoring exercise. He might have been, or he might have just been having a snack. I'm not sure. He was just standing by a bus stop, and I was in the car. But I was standing there staring at this man's pomegranate and just feeling very happy about it. So... Um, So those are the three main ones. And then there are other happiness exercises that include um, trying to play off what Martin Seligman calls your your signature strengths. Um, He's a professor at University of Pennsylvania. He's one of the main people behind the positive psychology movement. And he believes that everyone has certain strengths, like, for example, zest or enthusiasm or two of mine, and that you can become happier if you do activities that utilize those strengths. Like, I really like trying new things, so if I want to make myself feel happy, one way to do so is to go out and try something new. I take a class in something new or, you know, try a new experience. So build on what you like. Yeah, build on what you like. And another happiness technique, which is kind of hard to control, is something called flow. And that's the state where you become completely involved in an activity. So for me, this will happen, say, if I'm playing the piano and I'm in the middle of a piece and I'm not really thinking about what I'm doing, I'm just really enjoying being in the moment. Um, that feeling of just completely being lost in the moment is called flow, and that can, that, that's considered a state of happiness. I was reading over my journal, my happiness gratitude journal earlier today, and, you know, I really did get kind of down with some of these exercises. I think overall it was a good experience, but things like writing this letter to my grandmother actually kind of depressed me. Um, I think partially because when I read it to her, she assumed that I thought she was going to die, and so she was like, I'm planning on sticking around for a couple of years, and, you know... I mean, it was a nice experience, but it also was a little weird because it kind of like, why is she reading me this letter? You know, like what prompted this? Because it was her 84th birthday. So, you know, I think she just wanted to make that point. But as I was writing that letter, I realized, you know, that didn't make me feel happy in the moment. It, it kind of brought out the fact that I think I veer towards poignancy like way too easily anyway. And, you know, I'll, I'm sorry, like, what do you mean veer towards poignancy? I just, you know, I'll look at a pretty sunset and it makes me depressed because I'm like, oh, the moment is so fleeting. We have but this, you know, short moment on earth before eternal death, you know, so I'll look at something pretty and then turn it into something incredibly morbid. So, I mean, I could become nostalgic for this conversation like right now. It's not over yet. And Likewise, I'm I'm writing this letter to my grandmother, and I'm like, oh, this is so, saying such sweet things, and these are these beautiful memories, and then I'm thinking, yeah, and then she's going to die, and then, so I was thinking that. I was, like, getting preemptively depressed about the idea of losing her and losing all these special times we'd had together, 
as I was in the process of writing about how much I appreciated that. Catherine, would you be willing to share with us some of the content of that letter of gratitude you wrote to your grandmother? Okay, well, let me see if I can find part of this. As soon as I started really writing this, after spending about two weeks procrastinating, um, I started to cry. So anyway, um, part of the letter was just, you know, I remember you singing me to sleep when I was little. I remember you helping me with my math homework and quizzing me on spelling while I tried to do handstands in the living room and picking me up from the school bus and coming into school for Grandparents' Day. I was always so proud to have you there. Uh, you've always been such a constant presence in my life. I've always known that you've loved me and been here for me to give me a hug or listen and, or just to be nearby. I love that you've helped our family to expand by adopting my friends and making everyone laugh with your grandma-isms because my grandmother has a lot of one-liners that, uh, that I cannot say on this radio program but are very funny. Um, I love that everyone calls you grandma. I miss you while I'm out here in California and I wish there was something I could do to make your pain go away because she's been having a lot of back problems. Um, I hate knowing that you're hurting. You really are a role model to me for your strength and humor and love and honesty. I love you, Grandma, so much. I am blessed to have you in my life. I threw in the blessed because she's Catholic, but, <laughs> but anyway. of times you've mentioned that this runs the risk of sounding kind of cheesy and hokey and Hallmark cardish. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I would consider myself cynical or that cynical. If I, no, that's not true. That's totally not true. I'm from New York, and I feel like that mentality is, is an integral part of who I am. And so even though I live in California right now, I can't give that up. You know, I still have a, a 917 cell phone number because I don't want anyone to think I'm actually from California because I hate things that are laid back. And I I go to yoga every week, but I just hate, I just really, really hate the bumper sticker philosophy that permeates Berkeley. If I see one more car with a bumper sticker that says like happiness is or coexist, I'm going to just like throw up on it. And I, I actually bought a website, which I haven't done anything with, called a, it was going to be called the Cynical Bumper and I was going to put together um, bumper stickers with, with not-so-nice messages. Like, I actually made a bumper sticker that said iClub Baby Seals, um, which is hanging in my office. I actually couldn't put it on my car because then I would actually have a bumper sticker, which I won't allow myself to do. Um, and then I also had one made, which, again, I don't actually have up, but it said um, discuss complex issues through bumper stickers because <laughs> I cannot stand oh all that stuff. And I get very turned off by things and people um, that are overly earnest. And so coming into this gratitude experiment, I was a little doubtful about whether or not I'd be able to handle the earnestness of it all. But at the same time, I think I am a very emotional, very like loving, caring person, and I do have that side. So um, I don't know. It didn't bother me too much. I feel like I managed to maintain my personality while at the same time, you know, being very grateful. But Catherine, I have to... I knew you were going to do this. ...observe... <laughs> That immediately below I Club Baby Seals is this inspiring, beautiful quote from Eleanor Roosevelt, who said, The purpose of life is to live it, to taste experience to the utmost, to reach out eagerly and without fear for newer and richer experience. 
Well, now that I hear that, it does sound fine. I thought you were gonna find the one that's like, dance as if no one is watching, which is far worse. No, that's a good quote. Writer Catherine Price in Oakland, California. Listening to Humankind, I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Antonio Oliart. Editorial assistance from Thomas Royal. Webmaster Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Kathy Graham and Tony Buck. Our program is presented by Human Media in association with The Network Incorporated. Program development and support provided by Shart Media. To purchase a CD copy of this program, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. That's 1-800-5-L-I-S-T-E-N. Or visit our website where you can also obtain an audio download of this and our other programs and can hear selected episodes free. You can access free written materials related to this program as well. Our web address is humanmedia.org. That's humanmedia.org. Again, if you'd like to purchase a CD copy of Humankind by phone, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN, and our web address is humanmedia.org. This segment on the science of gratitude is Humankind Program number 122. The executive producer is David Freudberg. This is Humankind. To hear more episodes of Humankind, you can subscribe to our free podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast player. A new episode each week. The podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you enjoy this program, be sure to leave us a kind review at iTunes and Stitcher. If you want to support the program, please visit humanmedia.org. And at the top of the homepage, click on How You Can Help. Again, our web address is humanmedia.org. Thanks.